Gabby Petito was a young 22-year-old woman who was trying to grow a platform on social media. She loved to travel and wanted to share her adventures and experiences with other people in an effort to get them to live life to the fullest. So no one was surprised when in July of 2021, she quit her job and got a white van to go on a trip across America with her fiancé, Brian Laundrie. She documented her travels on her social media accounts and through a YouTube channel that she had also started with Brian. However, when Brian returned to his parents' house in Florida alone without Gabby and refused to talk, people started to get curious, and this eventually led to the discovery of her murdered body, and it was Brian who had killed her. Now, Gabby and Brian were friends in high school, and after high school, they reconnected and started dating around 2019. According to Gabby's parents, the whole relationship happened kind of quickly, but they still thought that he was safe and they felt comfortable with her going across the country with him. I mean, they were engaged, so obviously they expected that he would protect her and make sure that nothing ever happened to her, let alone hurt her. Now let's go through a timeline of all the major events that happened. They left for their trip on July 2nd and spent some time just visiting and camping in national parks. Six weeks into the trip, on August 12th in Moab, Utah, someone reported a domestic dispute to the police. According to the witness, a man was slapping a woman, and then they got into their car and drove off. And it turned out that this couple was Gabby and Brian. So when the police arrived and pulled them over and asked what was going on, Gabby just said that they had been fighting. And Gabby told the police that she was trying to start a blog, but Brian didn't think she could do it. So they had been fighting all morning because of that. She said that he wouldn't let her into the car because he said she needed to calm down and that it had just been a really stressful morning and that Brian just really stresses her out. And the whole time Gabby was talking to the police, she was crying and she seemed very anxious and agitated. Now for more than an hour, the police go back and forth between Brian and Gabby in order to figure out what was going on. And the whole time, Brian was just very calm, and he was trying to downplay the whole incident. He said that the issues between the two had been building over the last couple of days. And initially, Gabby tried to protect Brian by saying that she had hit him first. And the reason she hit him first was because he kept telling her to shut up. But then after a while, she admits that he had also been very, very violent with her. So after the police felt as though they heard the whole story, they sided it with Brian. And they said that Brian was the victim. And by law, the officer should have charged Gabby, but he was clearly conflicted as he was seen on his body cam footage, calling numerous colleagues and consulting them, asking them, hey, what do you think about this? What would you do? Is this the right thing to do? But eventually, the police just ordered that they stay separate for one night. Now, many believe that this was a pivotal moment that could have changed how Gabby's story ended. One criminal profiler said that the police greenlit the abuser, which was Brian. The profiler said that she saw relief on Brian's face, which made it clear that he was lying. And she also said that coercive control was a major factor in the relationship, specifically the fact that Brian was controlling and manipulative. And she deduced this from the way he talked and acted towards the police. However, no follow-ups were made by the police towards Gabby or Brian after this. So many believe that this was also a major mistake on um, the part of the law enforcement. After about a week, 
on August 19th, they uploaded their first and only YouTube video. It was an eight-minute video titled Van Life, Beginning Our Van Life Journey. And in the video, you see them laughing and kissing, and they just seem so happy. It's crazy to think that a week earlier, before that video had been released, they had been stopped by the police for fighting and slapping and hitting each other. August 23rd to 24th was when Gabby's parents last spoke to her over the phone. Gabby had told them that they were leaving Utah and were headed to Grand Teton National Park, and this is in Wyoming. After their call on this day, Gabby texted her mom a couple times after, but whether these texts were actually from Gabby or not is debatable, and this is because it was later revealed that Brian had sent text messages from Gabby's phone to her parents and others to make it seem as though she was still alive after he had killed her. And then on August 25th, Gabby uploaded her last Instagram post. A couple days later, on August 27th, witnesses saw them at a Mexican restaurant, and Gabby was very emotional, and she was crying. Brian was very evidently angry, apparently, and it was clear to the witnesses that he had a temper. Apparently, Gabby was apologizing to the, wit um, to the waitress for Brian's behavior while crying, and the way they described it was, it seemed as though Gabby was at her breaking point. Then on August 30th, Gabby's mom received a text from Gabby, or supposedly from Gabby, saying no service in Yosemite. Now, Gabby talked with her parents about every other day about her travels, texts, through texts, um, FaceTime, and pictures that they send each other. And Gabby's mom first started to get worried when she couldn't get into contact with Gabby. She had tried to call Brian and his family too, but got no response. Now, at the time, she was worried that something might have happened to both of them. But on September 11th, 2023, after 10 days of silence, Gabby's mom and stepdad finally reported her missing. And they actually didn't know this at the time, but Brian was in Florida. And he had been in Florida for two weeks, specifically since September 1st. And they found out that his family had also hired a lawyer. Brian was refusing to say anything, and so this was obviously all very strange and suspicious, because two people went on a trip, one returned, and the person that returned wasn't providing any information. The person that returned's family had also hired a lawyer. And so it's just all a very strange situation, and this led to Brian becoming a person of interest on September 15th, as he was the last known person to be with her. Now, the police announced that they were still treating the search as a missing persons case a couple days later, but we'll find out that it won't stay that way. And it wasn't just Brian that was uncooperative with the police. His parents were also very uncooperative. They went out of their way to ignore all media attention and press. There is a video of Brian's dad mowing the lawn with reporters and people all around him, and they're asking him questions, shoving cameras into his face, and he just seems very unbothered. He was honestly so good at ignoring them. It was actually very impressive. But it wasn't the same for Brian's sister's Cassie. Now, her house had also been bombarded with people, just screaming and filming, and eventually she came out of her house to talk to them. She said that they had cooperated with the police, and by they she means herself and her husband, and are just as heartbroken as anyone else. She also said that her parents don't talk to her anymore, and that she doesn't know if they're involved in the murder. 
And I just find it very strange because you cut to cut off your own daughter is just another level of commitment to this whole not sharing information concept. Now, the reason Cassie mentions that she doesn't know if her parents are involved is because there have been rumors saying that Brian's parents had something to do with the murder. And I do think that there is a valid reason to speculate that. I mean, they aren't talking to the police, they hired a lawyer, and so it's very understandable why rumors like that might circulate. Now, there's also evidence created by Brian's mother that supports this claim, but we'll get into that later. Now, a former U.S. Marshal also thinks that they helped Brian, and the reason he thinks this is because when Brian came home from his trip, alone, to his parents' house, what did he tell them? I mean, they must have told he must have told them something, because if you go on a trip with your fiancé and come back alone, I assume your parents might have a couple of questions. And so this is a very valid reason, I think, to speculate that they were involved. But anyways, Brian's parents were not cooperative with the police until all of a the sudden they wanted to talk to them. They were icing them out. They were like, hey, we don't want to talk to you. And then one day, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they're like, hey, I want to talk to you. But they don't necessarily want to talk about Gabby, but about Brian, because now Brian has disappeared. So the police had cameras in neighbors' yards, and they were supposedly monitoring Brian's whereabouts and knew where he was all the time, 24-7. But they screwed up, because they missed him leave as they confused his mom for him. So the police were forced to admit that they messed up, and obviously that didn't look too good. But apparently to Brian's parents, he had left for a hike to the Carlton Reserves, which is a wildlife reserve in Florida. And Brian actually knew this place well. He had hiked and camped there numerous times before. And so now there are two searches underway, one for Gabby Petito in Wyoming and another one for Brian Laundrie in Florida. But the reserves in Florida were not an easy place for police to search. It was a huge 24,000 acres, and the same goes for Grand Teton National Park. It's obviously huge, and the Grand Teton National Park was where the police were looking for Gabby. Now, the reason the police were searching the Grand Teton National Park in the first place is because in late August, there were witnesses who were traveling through the park. And they were also travel bloggers, so they had a GoPro on their camera or on their car. And as they were driving, they saw a white van with a Florida license plate. And the reason this stood out to them was because they were also from Florida. So they were planning on saying hi, you know, just introducing themselves. But the van was dark and everything was closed off. And they were just like, oh, well, maybe they're not there. Maybe they went off the hike. Maybe they went off to go do another activity. But after the story of Gabby started to spread, they immediately went through all the footage on their GoPro and found pictures of the white van and the approximate location it was in. And they thought the van was Gabby's, so they called the FBI. And it turns out that that van was Gabby's. Because on September 19th, about 300 meters from where the van had been parked, Gabby's remains were found. An autopsy revealed that Gabby's death had been homicide by strangulation. Her body had been left outside for three to four weeks, but the exact date of death was unclear, and she was only 22 years old. By this time, a warrant had been issued for Brian, but not for Gabby's disappearance or death, but instead for bank fraud. He had spent more than $1,000 on Gabby's debit card on his solo return trip from, to, from um, 
Wyoming to Florida. But then on October 20th, two months after Gabby's murder, 37 days after his disappearance, human remains and personal items belonging to Brian Laundry were found. These personal items included a notebook and a backpack. And this notebook had a note in which he confessed to killing Gabby. And it was confirmed that he had died by suicide with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Gabby's death obviously had a huge impact on her family. Gabby said that she, Gabby's mom said that she watched all these true crime videos and documentaries and shows. And she said it was always someone else. You never think it's going to happen to you, which is honestly so true because if things had gone the way they expected them to, Gabby would still be here, happy and smiling and traveling. Gabby's parents ended up filing a civil suit against Brian Laundrie's parents, and they were suing his parents for intentional infliction of emotional distress. They also sued the Laundrie's former lawyer for that as well. Gabby's parents claimed that they had all hidden the fact that Gabby was dead and instead led misleading statements to the public. They also claimed that the Laundries had attempted to help their son leave the country, and the only action they took during that time was to issue a statement via their lawyer that they hoped Gabby would be found. And there hasn't been a trial yet, although one is scheduled for May of 2024, but there has been several evidence that has come out already, and I find it all very interesting. Roberta Laundrie, who was Brian's mom, had written a letter to Brian, and it was titled Burn After Reading, which evidently was telling Brian to burn the letter after reading it, which doesn't necessarily have any good implications. Now, this letter is a very central piece of evidence for Gabby's parents and their suit, as it contains statements that imply that um, Brian's parents knew of Gabby's death. Yet, there's no date written on the letter. The Laundries claim that the letter was written before the murder of Gabby, and Brian's mom is adamant that the letter was in no way related to her. Or, and by her, I mean to Gabby. But as there is no indication of when it was written, we can't be sure, because the Petitos are saying that it was written in relation to Gabby's murder, while the Laundries are saying it wasn't. So the whole situation of there not being a date is very important in this scenario. The letter was eventually, uh, originally revealed during a court hearing in February, and it was allowed to be used as evidence. One former trial attorney thinks that this letter proves that Brian's parents knew that Gabby was dead, where her body was, and were hiding it in some way, shape, or form, and trying everything to help their son do the same. And this is because in the letter, Roberta Laundrie says, and I quote, If you're in jail, I will bake a cake with a file in it. If you need to dispose of a body, I'll show up with a shovel and garbage bags. No matter what we do or where we go or what we say, we will always love each other. Now, obviously, that sounds very, very incriminating. It does not look too good for Roberta Laundrie. But one defense attorney says that the letter is only relevant if the timing was around when the Laundries knew that Gabby was dead. And Gabby's parents are saying, we think it happened around that time, but we're not exactly sure, which isn't a valid legal argument. The defense attorney points out that much of the letter was hyperbole. Roberta says, if you hate my guts, I'll get new guts. If you fly to the moon, I'll watch the skies for your re-entry. 
So the defense lawyer was saying that we can't just pick out some parts and say that she was being literal in those few sentences while saying that she was exaggerating in others. So this letter has become a very important focal point of the lawsuit, and I'll leave it up to you to decide whether or not Roberta Laundrie was being literal in her letter or was just using all sorts of literary techniques. Now, the reason the Laundrie's former attorney is a co-defendant in this suit is because Gabby's parents claim that he made statements about wanting Gabby to be found when he knew she was dead. And if this is true, they're claiming that it was really cruel. Brian's parents sent the Petitas a proposed settlement in response to this whole lawsuit right after that former lawyer did. And this lawsuit, however, wasn't the only lawsuit between the Petitas and the Laundries. In November of 2022, the Laundry family settled a wrongful death lawsuit with the Petitos for $3 million. And it's highly unlikely that their estate has $3 million. However, any money that is collected will go towards the Gabby Petito Foundation. The Gabby Petito Foundation was started by her parents in response to the terrible tragedy that happened to her. And it's dedicated to locating missing people and curbing domestic violence. I highly recommend that you check out their website and just give them any support you can. Just search up the Gabby Petito Foundation online and you should be able to find it. The Petitos also filed a $50 million lawsuit against the Moab Police Department, alleging that their daughter would still be alive if police officers had reacted properly to her claims of domestic violence. And the Petitos actually came to Salt Lake City to advocate for legislation that would create a standard for how Utah law enforcement react when assessing these domestic violence situations. The lethality assessment legislation was passed into law earlier this year as a result. It's been a couple years since Gabby's life was tragically cut short. And while her family is still pursuing justice, I think the best way to remember Gabby is to remember everything she stood for. She loved to explore and go on adventures while living life to the fullest. And by living the same way, we would be ensuring that her memory lives on. If you are currently a victim of domestic violence, there are numerous resources to get you the help you need. The National Domestic Violence Hotline is a great resource, and there are countless others as well. I hope that through Gabby and her story, we can all work towards a better and safer future for our world. And Gabby always wanted her travels and her experiences to be out there. And now they are, even though they had to happen through terrible circumstances. But I hope that Gabby finds peace in knowing that in some way we are still remembering her and trying to use her story to influence the world to be a better place.